Very good to be with you all this morning. Uh, very exciting. It's our first time ever to actually ever to this part of the city. So we're driving in going, oh, this is nice. You guys might be like, oh, it's not so nice. But we, th- we thought it was lovely. So, um, so my son Isaiah has disappeared. But he, he's probably somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so we came down. Uh, my wife Meg and my two daughters, Tabby and Emmy, uh, they send their love. Um, unfortunately, one of the kids had to be helpers at the kids group at Panet. So they drew straws. It was actually supposed to be Isaiah, but he wanted to come with me. So anyway, the girls send their love. Um, but it is great to be with you this morning. Um, I love being part of a church that's in multiple locations. That's definitely new for me. It's exciting. So I don't know if you're a golf lover. I'm not. But I heard a story recently that there was a Moses, Jesus, and a third person went to play a game of golf. Now, I hope I get the terminology right because I don't play golf. But anyway, so Moses goes up to the tee and he gets the golf ball and he tees off drives the ball down the fairway and as it's going down the fairway it bounces and starts heading towards a pond to a water on the edge as it gets towards the water Moses raises his golf club and the water parts and the ball goes through the water onto the green well it gets better Jesus goes up puts the golf ball on the tee drives the ball down much further but a gust of wind sends it heading towards the same water the same pond But as it heads towards the water, it bounces and and lands, but it kind of hovers on the water. So Jesus walks out on the water, takes his little putter and chips it onto the green. Anyway, it gets better because the third guy gets up, puts his golf ball on the tee, and he smacks this ball, but it goes completely wrong direction, and it heads out off a tree onto the freeway, hits a truck, bounces off the truck, bounces onto a shack, goes onto the guttering, down the drain spout, off, on, back onto the green, where it hits a stone, it bounces off the stone towards the same pond, it lands on a lily pad, at which point a bullfrog jumps up, grabs the golf ball in its mouth, at which point an eagle swoops down, grabs the bullfrog, lifts it off, flies away over the green, at which point the bullfrog squeals, the golf ball flies out of its mouth and bounces, drops into the hole for a hole in one. (laughs) Moses turns to Jesus and says, I hate playing golf with your dad. (laughs) Anyway, this morning we're going to continue in our series, our summer series, in knowing God, and we're going to be looking at the theme of the son's pleasure in the Father. And through the summer, we're looking at these different themes of knowing God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is enabling us and helping us in our pursuit of knowing God and his presence in our lives even more. And today we're going to be looking particularly at this topic of the Son's pleasure in the Father. Now, I want to be really honest with you. Um, Preparing a sermon is never easy. I think some people find it easy. I find it quite a challenge. I have to spend hours praying and reading the Word. But I found this topic... Uh, really, really challenging. And I think because it touches on a topic that every single one of us has some sort of issue with, and that is our relationship with our earthly father. Some of us, sadly, do not have good or have not had good relationships with our earthly fathers. Maybe they're abusive, neglectful, or just absent. Some of us have had amazing relationships with our earthly fathers. They've been really good. For me personally, my parents divorced when I was six, And so my mum and I moved to the south of England uh, when I was about seven or eight years old. And so from that age till the age of 18, I would see my dad maybe two, three weeks over a whole year um, because he lived near London and he was in the army. 
So he was just so he was an absent father. He was a good dad, but he was absent. I didn't know it at the time, but over those years, that would obviously have an impact on me and my life. And I'm sure for all of you, you have had varying relationships with your earthly father. But either way, what's really important this morning is that we don't view God the Father through the lens of our earthly father. Because whether our earthly father was awful in the middle or brilliant, they all fall way short of our Father God in heaven, because he is a perfect father. For me personally, I'm trying really hard to be the perfect dad, because I want to be the cool dad. Um, I want to be godly, kingdom-focused, faith-filled, fun, and loving as a dad. But I'll be honest, even on my absolute best days, I fall way short of the standard of our loving father in heaven. For example, my daughter Tabby is... Well, great example. I always get their ages wrong. <laughs> uh, Tabby is something, and Emmy is younger. Um, and I always call, <laughs> I always call Emmy Tabby, Tabby Emmy. I don't think I've yet, when I've been responsible for making sure they're getting ready for school, I don't think I've ever got them with the right uniform on. They're always wearing each other's, and then they're like each other. You've got my jumper and all that. Um, as I say, I get their birthdays and dates of birth wrong. Um, I often try and be the really cool dad at dinner times and I tell like the vomit stories and stuff at which point my wife Meg frowns at me. Um, anyway, I could go on and on but safe to say I'm a work in progress as a dad. So as I was preparing this message and, and I've been given this topic of the son's pleasure in the father, I had to really pray. I had spent a lot of time praying and asking God, there's not actually that much in scripture that unpacks this. So I had to ask God, would you reveal to me what you want to say into this topic. And so it's quite a different style that I would normally preach on today. So I hope you bear with me. But I'm going to use quite a lot of scriptures. And I think that's important because that's where we get all our answers, isn't it? So I'm unashamedly going to share quite a lot of scriptures on the screen. But I had to press in personally. And I had to say to God, would you reveal through your lens, through the lens of Jesus, Jesus' pleasure in the Father? Because otherwise... All of my experience with my earthly father, whether good or bad, is going to influence it. And I don't want that to happen. So I really want to pray for us today that we all get a revelation. A revelation of Jesus' relationship with his father and the pleasure that he finds in his father and how that is then outworked. And I pray that it would be an inspiration to each and every one of us today. As we allow God, each of us here this morning, to lift off the lens of our earthly father relationship and put on the lens of Jesus. So, let's go for it. Um, the word pleasure, if you look up in a dictionary, says this, a feeling of happy satisfaction and enjoyment. So, you could find pleasure in a whole raft of things. It could be watching the sunset, it could be spending time with the grandkids, completing a task if you're that way inclined, swimming uh, in a lake, a meal out with friends, uh, so, so much more. So, what I'm going to do is kind of breaking this into a few sections. This first section, I'm going to look at seven areas that, when I was praying, the Holy Spirit said, these are seven areas where Jesus finds pleasure in the Father. It's not the only areas, it's just seven that God highlighted to me as I prayed. I'm going to try and go through these fairly quick, and then I'm going to unpack them. I didn't explain that when I shared this at Panet, and people started to look really bored in the first bit, so bear with me, please. (laughs) So, point number one. The Son, Jesus, found pleasure in the Father by being in the Father's presence. We can take this right back to when Jesus was a boy. If we read in Luke 2 from verse 41, it says this. 
Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, a whole day. (laughs) Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Even as a boy, Jesus wanted to spend time in his father's presence, in his father's house. I don't know about you, but I I sometimes get stuck on passages in scripture. And when I read that, I'm like, a whole day before they noticed. Three days before they found him. Man alive. Um, My wife Meg and I once uh, took a, we went to Ikea. Now, I don't have to unpack Ikea, do I? Because everyone's been to Ikea, and whether it's in England or Winnipeg, it's just a horrible human maze that's designed to trap you in there forever. So, everyone's been to Ikea. So, we went looking for bunk beds for our kids. So, at this point, Isaiah is four, Tabby is two, and Emmy's a baby in a pushchair. And um, so, we're looking for bunk beds. We're going around Ikea, which is pretty stressful. So we're, we're stood looking at some bunk beds, and Tabby and Isaiah, I promise, were stood here. Okay? We turn to look at bunk beds. What do you think? Where have the kids gone? Uh, now, that was a day. This was 30 seconds max. And as any parents in here, your heart goes crazy at this point. You're like, oh my life. So now, bearing in mind we're in Ikea as well, this is like a double whammy. So I said to my wife, Meg, right, so we look around this area, no kids. I'm like, right, you go that way, you go backwards with the arrows, I'll go this way forwards with the arrows, let's hope we end up back here, find the kids. So we set off, it felt like hours, it must have been three minutes. We get back to the bunk bed area, no kids. Now I'm panicking at this point, you know, I start to feel ill. And I'm like, right, um... Find the security guards. We're gonna, we need a lockdown. We need to shut the doors, lock the doors. Like, and I'm, I'm literally going into panic mode, like army general mode. Like, I'm going to control Ikea. <laughs> At which point, Tabby and Emmy go, surprise, found us. And they were there. And we're like, where were you? They were like, well, we're playing hide and seek. <laughs> you could have told us. <laughs> like... Yeah, and the whole time, they'd been hiding under a bed where we were stood, playing hide-and-seek. They just hadn't told us. I read this, and I think, wow, one day before they even noticed, three days before they found him. Like, that, must, that was about five minutes of our life we'll never get back. But <laughs> Anyway, point number one is, Jesus found pleasure in the Father, uh, even as a young boy. But point number two is, Jesus found pleasure in the Father by praying and being alone with the Father. This is when Jesus was an adult we turn to Mark 1, all these are going to come up on the screen, so you don't need to turn to them in your Bibles. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Luke 6.12, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. 
Another example is um, in the story of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. This is just before Jesus is going to be betrayed, taken away, tried, beaten, and crucified. It says this in Matthew 26. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And it goes on to say, he went a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And Jesus prays a third time saying the same thing. So the second point is Jesus found pleasure in the Father by praying and being alone with the Father. And I think Jesus must have found such pleasure being alone with the Father. Because remember, this is Jesus who, for the whole of his ministry, has this random bunch of disciples constantly with him. The three that's like in his face the whole time. And then this crowd that's always, do another miracle, do something, provide something. You know, constantly, people, people, people. But when we read that, he found a solitary place. He spent the night in prayer. Even in desperation, he's on his knees praying. I think Jesus found something in that time that was so significant and brought such pleasure that actually it became such a priority for Jesus. And there's a challenge for us in there, isn't there? Thirdly, Jesus found pleasure in the Father by receiving heavenly provision. I'll just read this one to you because it's a bit of a longer passage, but most of you know the story, the feeding of 5,000. It says this, this is from John 6. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, poor Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, well, it would take more than half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each one just to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he says, well, here's a boy. He's got five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go amongst so many? Jesus says, have everybody sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men, so including women and kids, we're talking lots of people. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Jesus must have found such pleasure in knowing that there is absolutely no, there's nothing. What can we do? We've got this kid's packed lunch. And then he goes, but I know know what God's going to do. This is going to be awesome. Could you imagine the pleasure of God using him to do that? Jesus knew that he was in the will of the Father and could totally trust God to do something supernatural. Fourthly, Jesus found pleasure in the Father by being comforted during times of despair. After 40 days of being tested in the wilderness, you kind of begin to imagine how Jesus must have felt physically as much as emotionally and spiritually. But it says this in Matthew 4, Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. It's incredible, isn't it? And then in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, Jesus prays for the cup to be taken from him. And Luke's Gospel says this in Luke 22. He, that's Jesus, he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will be done, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Jesus must have found such pleasure in the Father by being comforted during times of despair. 
Fifthly, Jesus found pleasure in the Father by bringing glory to the Father. Um, in John 12, Jesus has just arrived in Jerusalem and he's explaining about what's going to happen and how he's going to have to die. And it says this in verse 27, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it, said it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Jesus must have found such pleasure in the Father by bringing glory to the Father. As I said, I'm going to unpack some of these in a bit. So we're just laying them all out ahead of us. So the last two, the sixth one. Jesus found pleasure in the Father by being obedient to the will of the Father. This has been touched on already in some of the passages, but just a couple more. John 8, 28 says this. Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26 says this. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Jesus found so much pleasure in being obedient to the will of the Father. And then the seventh one, Jesus found pleasure in the Father by knowing his identity. At Jesus' baptism, it says this in Matthew 3, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, who I love. With him, I am well pleased. That's a cool version. I'm well pleased. God's so hip. Anyway, and then at the transfiguration, Jesus took three disciples up a mountain, Peter, John and James. And as Jesus prayed, his face changed, his clothes become as bright as flash of lightning. Moses and Elijah appeared. Then it says in Luke 9, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. I don't know if anybody's been listening really careful that I kept repeating a particular story, and that's the, uh, the story of Gethsemane. Now, you might be thinking, why well, I keep using the same passage. I've done that on purpose because, and it's not a mistake, um, we just looked at seven areas, if we could put that up on the screen. So these are the seven areas we looked at how Jesus finds pleasure in the Father. And I purposely wanted to highlight how Jesus found all of these seven areas, the pleasure of the Father, sorry, pleasure in the Father, all in the story of Gethsemane. So the, the story of Gethsemane is recorded in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, and in Luke, chapter 22. It's a big deal. It's the pinnacle moment of Jesus' life and ministry as a human on earth. It's the moment when Jesus could have just thrown in the towel, quit, and run away, because he knew exactly what was coming. He knew that he would be betrayed by a so-called best friend, one of his disciples. He would be totally and unfairly tried and sentenced. 
The people of God, the Jews of the day, would be like an angry mob chanting for him to be crucified. And so he would. He would be beaten, crucified, and killed. And a death so barbaric that the Emperor Constantine would eventually ban it. Yet in this moment, Jesus doesn't run away. In this story in Gethsemane, we find that Jesus finds pleasure in the Father's presence. During a time of absolute despair, he chooses to pray and spend time alone with the Father. He receives heavenly angelic provision, and he would choose to bring glory to the Father by being obedient to the will of the Father. And why and how did he do all that? Because Jesus knew his identity in the Father. Are you beginning to see through Jesus' lens a little bit? It's very different to our earthly human lens. Do you know, before Jesus came to earth incarnate as a man, God was known by many really cool names, like Elohim, God, Yahweh, Lord, El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, Adonai, Lord Master, El Elyon, the Most High God. There are nine Jehovahs as well. Each name of God, incredible, significant, and powerful. But if we journey back to the story of Gethsemane, in the Gospel of Mark, there's one word in it that literally changes everything. It says this in Mark 14. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I'm just going to play you a very short video clip just to get a sense of just the deep and agonizing situation Jesus is in when he says this short prayer. So we could watch that. Terry, you here? And watch with me. things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will. Abba, Father. The word Abba is an Aramaic word that, praise the Lord, the Holy Spirit, convinced them to leave in Scripture. It was a common term that expressed affection and confidence and trust. Abba 
signifies the close, intimate relationship of a father and his child, as well as the childlike trust that a young child puts in his father. So the best way we could translate Abba in today's language would be Daddy. How incredible is that? Daddy. When Jesus cries out in absolute despair in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cries out, Daddy. Jesus had and has such an intimate relationship with Abba Father, his daddy, and such a total and clear understanding of his identity in Abba Father that he was able to and chose to live a life filled with the pleasure of God in full obedience to Abba Father. Jesus' love for Abba Father was total, complete and absolute The term Abba Father is actually only used three times in the whole of the Bible. Here in Mark 14, but also in Romans 8, 15 and Galatians 4, 6. Now if you're here and you're a Christian and you've asked Jesus into your life, that means you now have Jesus in you. You are in Jesus. Together you are in God and sealed in the Holy Spirit. Which means that these two other passages of scripture that talk about Abba Father apply to you. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, I'd love to pray with you at the end. The first of these passages is Romans 8, Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you, if you are a Christian, received the spirit of adoption by who we cry out, Abba, Father. You have been adopted by Abba, Father. To adopt someone is to make that person a legal son or daughter. That's incredible, isn't it? And then in Galatians 4, it says this. So also, when we were children, we were enslaved under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive our adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but a son. And since you are a son, you are also an heir through God. And that changes everything. As an adopted child of God, you have, you have the same relationship with God the Father that Jesus had and has. If we have been adopted by Father God, we can call him Abba, Father. We can call him Daddy, We can call the creator of the universe Daddy. That is incredible, isn't it? By knowing that you've been adopted by God and can now call him Abba Father means that you too can find total pleasure in the Father, just like Jesus. You can find your total pleasure in all of those seven areas. In the Father's presence, in praying and being alone with the Father, in receiving heavenly provision, in being comforted through times of despair, in bringing glory to the Father, in being obedient to the will of the Father, and in knowing your identity as an adopted child of God who can cry out, Abba, Father. As I was getting to this point in preparing this message, I I said to God, so help me understand how I live in these seven areas. Give me some examples. I just want to share some examples that maybe will encourage you and inspire you as well. So for me, the first one, I I genuinely find such pleasure being in the Father's presence. Times of worship, 
can be the most fulfilling and refreshing times that you can't find anywhere else. There are so many things that I, I genuinely get pleasure from, whether it be roller coaster rides or going to Transcona Water Park, which is our favorite place in the world at the minute. Um, nice food, time with the family, traveling. But the truth is that any of those things, however much fun in the moment they are, they pale into insignificance compared to being in the presence of our Abba Father. What an incredible thing. Um, I find incredible pleasure when I spend time praying and reading the Bible. I know for sometimes it can be an effort, can't it? Getting up in the morning and think, oh, social media Bible. You know, but actually, when we go into the Word and when we allow God to speak to us, it's so fulfilling, so refreshing, and brings such pleasure. And I find incredible pleasure knowing that God wants to speak to me and that God has things to say to me and that God has plans for me. Um, so Norm was saying earlier about our process of coming to Canada from England. It literally started at the end of November. But like all of God's things, it started a lot long before that. So my wife and I had been in a process of becoming foster parents. And in England, I don't know what it's like here, but it's an incredibly long, drawn-out process. It'd been gone over, over a year. We'd been going through it. We'd taken the kids through it. It was an emotional process. And as we were getting to the point of we're going to move and then we're going to start fostering, uh, my wife Meg got ill, and we had to just shelve the whole thing. And I, was, I felt God had spoken really clearly that we were going to do it. And I'm like, what is going on? At the same time, in my role at the church in, in England, I was feeling like there was some change coming. I felt like I'm not quite doing all that God wants me to do. But I had no answers to these things at all. And then back in January of 2018, one of our leaders came up to me. He said, Chris, I've been praying for you because I, I, I know you're frustrated and you feel like doors are closing on you all the time and you're trying to live for God and move in faith. And he said, I felt like God saying, don't feel like this is a, an enemy's attack. Actually, this is God. God's in this process. And he, he was sharing with me in Acts 16, it talks about the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is trying to go to Bithynia, but it says in the scriptures that the spirit of the Lord was stopping him from going. And he said, I feel like God's saying, it's the spirit of Jesus stopping you because there's something else coming. I was like, oh, okay, what's coming? And he went, well, that passage goes on and then the Apostle Paul has a dream. And in the dream, this man says, come to Macedonia. And he said, I think at some point, God's going to give you a call to Macedonia. And I was like, oh, where's Macedonia? He said, I don't know, I don't think think you're going to go to Macedonia. (laughs) He said, I think God's saying, don't worry about these doors closing, something else is coming. So for the whole of 2018, in the back of my mind is, something, I'm going to get a call to go somewhere. Now, I figured this out, because we do, don't we? So I'd figured out that clearly at some point, God is going to call me to one of two things. Either my role is going to change in the church, that'll take a step of faith, or big step of faith, I might stop working for the church and run a charity in the northeast of England where we lived. Okay? That's my world. So throughout 2018... That's where I've got to. And that's what I'm now expecting. At some point, come and run a charity here or we're going to change your role. So bear that in mind. In November of last year, I'm sat in one of our apostolic team meetings. So I was on our regional team and national salt and light team. Ron and Mary McLean are visiting. We're sat in this meeting. Everything's going really well. My life's going really well at this point. Um, I'm on this really great trajectory. My role was starting to evolve and change. This is looking really good. One of our prophets, one of the English guys, says... I feel like there's someone in the room and God's saying they need to move to Canada. Now, at that moment, something went inside of me, but I, I just didn't react at all. I, I didn't, like, literally didn't react. 
If I played it, I'd be a great poker player, I think. But I don't play it, don't worry. Um, so I'm like internalizing it. I thought, do I share this with Meg, my wife? So I go home and I said, oh, this crazy thing happened. Uh, Craig said that he felt God was saying someone should move to Canada. I wondered if that might be for us. I thought she'd go, you're mad. She went, ooh, that sounds exciting. Oh, okay, that was weird. The next morning, the very next morning, Ron McLean comes towards me in our main auditorium. It's a bit like Panic Road. I thought he was bringing a PowerPoint for one of his talks. I've never had a conversation with Ron in my life. We'd just been in rooms together. We'd never actually conversed. He comes up to me and he says, so Chris, have you ever considered moving to Canada? And I was like, whoa, what's going on? And I was like, well, honestly, um, yeah, since I was 14. Because my best friend moved to Canada when I was 14. And I was devastated. And my mum paid for me to go for three weeks holiday on my own at 14 to British Columbia. And I stayed there for three. And ever since then, I've always had this, oh, I'd love to move to Canada. But I've never done anything about it. And he said, well, maybe we should have a conversation. I had no idea that it was, you know, looking for people and stuff at all. So that's, that's enough, isn't it? Apart from, I'm a bit like, oh, it's God speaking. So that lunchtime, the guy that oversees the whole of the prophetic team for Salt and Light in the northeast of England comes up to me and he, and he says, so Chris, hearing God, eh? And I said, yeah. He said, you're overcomplicated, don't you, Chris? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he started to give me a bit of a hard time. I said, what do you mean overcomplicated? He said, well, you know, yesterday there was a word about someone moving to Canada. I was like, yeah. And he said, well, you know that was for you, right? And I was like, what? You th- do you think it was for me? He went, no. He said, you know it was for you. And I said, do you think it's for me? He said, oh, well, I know it was for you. He said, but you already know it was for you, and you're overcomplicating it. And I was like, wow. So I stood up, and I'm in this, we had all these leaders gathering, and I was just stood like, and then th- this guy comes over, who was the guy that gave us the, the Macedonia word in January, and he says, are you okay? You know, you looked a bit. And so I told him what was going on, and he went, ooh, Macedonia. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> now that should be enough, shouldn't it? Then the next morning, Mary McLean's preaching at the, the uh, regional gathering. Uh, I can't remember what, because my mind's going, what is going on? So at the end of the meeting, I get out my big bunch of work keys. I knelt down. I don't know what everyone else was responding for, but I was like, I knelt down. I put my keys on the floor, and I said, God, I have no idea what you're doing, but pff, your will be done. Whatever you want to do, I'm game. Let's go for it. At which point, Will Horner comes over, who I'd not seen properly since he moved back to the UK. And I said, oh, Will, I'm really looking forward to working with you again. It's been six years. Uh, Immediately, the guy who gave the original prophetic word about someone moving to Canada comes up, and he goes, Chris, we need to have a talk. I said, what's the matter? He said, I don't know if you can remember, but a couple of days ago, I shared uh, a word about someone moving to Canada. I was like, maybe. (laughs) He said, well, that wasn't the word. I was like, what do you mean that wasn't the word? He said, well... It kind of was. He said, I was aware that Ron and Mary are in the room and all the apostolic leaders are in the room and I didn't want to speak out of place. I said, what was, Craig, what was the word? He said, well, the word was that you need to move to Canada. <laughs> so, as you can imagine, we, we were like, okay, God's got our attention. Uh, we need to really embrace this. And here we are. We moved. So, and, and I could spend hours telling you stories, but I won't, we haven't got time. But... Um, just incredible. But do you know, the thing, the thing that brought me the most pleasure in all of that wasn't, wasn't coming to Canada, which is obviously great, but it was knowing that God wanted to speak to us and knowing that God had a plan for us and a purpose. It was incredible. It was so exciting. Um, the other areas I, I find pleasure in the third one is receiving heavenly provision. Who doesn't? 
I mean, I could literally spend the whole of today and the rest of the week telling you about God's provision just in, since November to now, let alone everything before. It's been incredible. Um, but let me just read you this extract from my journal on June the 18th, just uh, a month ago. This is what I wrote. Lord, I have the most incredible list of your provision during this whole process of leaving everything and moving to Canada. It's still all surreal and daunting, but your provision has been quite miraculous. I honestly don't think we would have coped without that level of confirmation that this really is your will and that we are bang in the centre of it. I feel my faith has grown exponentially. My choices have shifted, my perspective has changed, and my hunger to grow more like Jesus has been reignited. Thank you so much for never leaving us or forsaking us. Thank you for providing in every way. In finances, health, peace, friends, guidance, purpose, jobs, kids' schools, vehicles, fun times, houses, hope, ministry, and so, so much more. You are worthy of all our praise. I find so much pleasure in God providing. I hope you do too. I found such pleasure in God when he comforts me in times of despair. I have never experienced anything like what Jesus has. I don't think any of us have. But I do find pleasure knowing that God's in it with me, knowing that he will comfort me and comfort my soul, and knowing that my Abba Father is always with me. He loves me, he cares for me, and even if it's in the dentist chair that scares me, he's with me and he'll comfort me. (laughs) I get great pleasure knowing God is with me, particularly in times of despair like the dentist. I find most satisfying moments when I bring glory to God. Bringing glory to Abba Father is like nothing else on earth. So three weeks ago, we had the Salt and Light Youth Conference uh, called Consumed, and God used me to lead two teenagers to the Lord. I can hands down tell you there is nothing, nowhere that we can go or do that can come close to God using you to lead somebody into an eternity with God and having their own Abba Father moment. It, there's nothing that comes close to it. I was practically giddy for days after that. It was amazing. Um, and I actually get great satisfaction and pleasure when I choose to be obedient to the will of the Father. The number one question people have asked us over the last 10 weeks is, was it hard to move to Canada? And I'd be lying if I said no. Obviously it was, yes, it was very, very difficult. But in it, it brought such profound joy and pleasure. Going through that process of hearing God, discovering his plans, knowing that God wasn't going to force us to do anything, but he was kind of going, this would be good for you. And, and choosing to walk in that was incredible. But then the process of being recipients of God's provision, his grace, his guidance, his comfort, and his supernatural work, I honestly think it's been the most exciting adventure yet. And believing for more. And finally, we found immense pleasure in, in being obedient to the will of the Father because we find our identity in our Abba Father. I know that I am a child of God. I'm adopted into God's family. Knowing God as Abba Father and finding pleasure in him literally changes everything. But as we begin to bring this into land, there has to be an impact on our lives, right? Jesus, totally assured of his identity in Abba Father, found his pleasure totally in the Father, not in anything else, which led Jesus to lay down his life as the perfect sacrifice for all mankind. That's for me and for you. Hebrews 12, 1-2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. To live as adopted children of Abba Father, out of finding our pleasure totally in Abba Father, means that we must throw off everything that hinders, the sin that entangles us, and that is whatever we find pleasure in, where we should be finding pleasure in God, and to run the race that God has marked out for us. Total pleasure in Abba Father. When God began to speak to us about leaving everything and moving halfway around the world to a country we didn't know, a people we didn't know, a culture we didn't know, with no real idea why, we were honestly able to say, well, God, if that's the race you've marked out for us, then Abba Father, let's go. So in closing, I'm going to invite the band up. If they could come up, that'd be great. If you are here this morning and you are a Christian, then you have been adopted by Abba Father. You are a child of God. And because of the great cost Jesus paid for your salvation in eternity, choose today to find your pleasure totally in Abba Father. God is most glorified when you find your pleasure in the same way Jesus did. He found it in Abba Father's presence, in praying and being alone with your Abba Father, in heavenly provision, in comfort during times of despair, in bringing glory to your Abba Father, in obedience to the will of Abba Father, and finally, in knowing your identity as an adopted child of God who can cry out, Abba Father.